Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9. And the last time the message was titled Out of the Classroom. Out of the Classroom. And it's really cool because, you know, for the last 2,000 years since Christ, people, organizations, governments, agencies use this technique that Christ perfected. He would teach his disciples, teach them intensely, and then he would take them out of the classroom, so to speak, into the field to learn and apply and practice their faith then what he would do is they would regroup and he would troubleshoot what did they do right what did they do wrong retrain them and send them out again so any organization that's survived and done well will use some of these techniques and certainly there's a lot more to it Uh, today the message is titled deeper discussions and you know (laughs) i have to laugh because sometimes i see some of these ministries and they're so intent on making people feel good emotionally that You can watch them every Sunday, and they just leave out the important things of the faith. That's why um, those who are ignorant of the Bible and the things of God will level accusations such as fairy tale, oversimplification. But when you actually get into the deep things of the Word, you you say to yourself, well, I've never seen that before. Well, you can get Bibles anywhere, and we give them out for free. You can get them online, right? Um, So Jesus had to have these deeper discussions with his disciples, who do people say that I am? Well, what do you, who do you say that I am? Right? He had to make sure they fully understand who he is before they go and they continue to bring God's word to the world. Right? So deeper discussions, um, we should have them today because they are important. And we're going to look at all of this in three parts. So, Luke nine eighteen. It says, And it happened when he was alone praying that his disciples joined him. And he asked them, saying, Who do the crowd say that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah, and others say, Well, one of the old prophets that has risen again. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. So that must have caused confusion. If you understood messianic fever of the first century and before, remember there were Bible prophecies in the Old Testament that pretty much gave a time period for when the Messiah would come. So in the last 2,000 years, anyone who says, Oh, I'm the Messiah, and people do that, they're actually ignorant of those old prophecies because the prophecies were always filled to 100%. So the, I can't, can't speak for the disciples, but they might have been imagining, wait a minute, if you come out as the Messiah, we're all going to follow you. How could our religious leaders reject you? You know, This was a learning curve for them. There was some difficulty that they had to understand. But today, sometimes, and again, the accusation, and it's a, a proper accusation against sometimes organized religion, is that I wonder if Jesus came back today, how many religious institutions would feel that he was stealing their thunder and their followers and their finances like 2,000 years ago, and they wouldn't, wouldn't be for him. So just because something is religious, and it's a, 
You know, and people say to me, wait a minute, there's a cross on your building. You're a pastor, there's a pulpit. How can you say those things? Because there's a purity in the faith that not every ministry and religion follows. Uh, for some, it's become just a sort of a secular business at this point, And they don't reflect the teachings of Christ. That's why knowledge is power, right? So first is the only true Jesus. The only true Jesus. Jesus often asked questions, and I always say that the questions he asked, he already knew the answer to. But he would draw it out of the followers. And then they would bounce it off of each other, and they would have discussions about it, and they would come to, hopefully, the right conclusion. So he had to separate fact from fiction when it came to his disciples. As a matter of fact, there's two scriptures you can read on your spare time. 2 Corinthians 11.4 and Galatians 1.6-9, where the Apostle Paul speaks about false Christ. Jesus speaks about this in Matthew 24. False messiahs that would rise up. And people have followed David Koresh and some of these other strange people that because they didn't know their Bible, and that leader didn't teach the Bible, the people were in spiritual darkness. So, another Jesus, another gospel, they can't save. Only the true God can save. Um, a lot of false teaching out there. Some of them, in some religions, um, doctrine is that Jesus was the spirit brother of Lucifer. He helped to create Lucifer. He didn't... Lucifer made a choice... They're not equal. Another teaching is that Jesus was just a man or just a prophet. Another teaching in the first few centuries was that Jesus was a Gnostic apparition. So if Jesus was walking on the beach and you were behind him, you wouldn't see any footprints left in the sand. Kind of strange. Um, but this is not the true Christ. And that's why Jesus is drawing this out of his followers. He is what Peter said he is the Christ of God. In Matthew 16, Peter also elaborates. He said, you're the Christ of God. He also says, you are the son of the living God. As the theologian Warren Wiersbe once said, you can't be wrong about Jesus and be right with God. Give your heart to Christ today. Verse 21, he says, don't tell anyone. Wow. You know, again, I think any of us, if we were literally there following Jesus, we might be confused too. And this was something that over the years he had to help get all these uh, distracting thoughts and false teachings out of their heads and focus them on what he really was, right? Don't tell anyone. Well, because that great revelation would come at the triumphal entry, not now. We're going to get to that part later in the Gospels. Um, so was there confusion a little bit? Well, we, we thought we were told by our religious leaders that you were going to be a conquering Messiah. Well, he, he is, but it wasn't in the first century. It makes sense if, there's, if you understand that there's two comings of Christ. The first one is to save souls, which was far greater than redeeming the physical creation from a fallen human race. Um, even if you look at rabbinical teachings, which I have before the first century and after the first century, you know, they struggled with the answers because Christ didn't come the way they expected him to come. You know, he had to suffer many things. Um, and we're going to get to Peter's response. Peter says something great, then he says something ridiculous. <laughs> so we're going to cover that. Uh, but when you look at Isaiah 53 in the Old Testament and Psalm 22, they equal John 3.16. Right? This substitutionary atonement. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. And so Jesus said, right now, don't say anything. There's two really important reasons for that. And again, Daniel the great prophet, chapter 9, he literally gives the day, that, that fine-tuned uh, time period to when the Messiah would come. Right? And this was centuries before Jesus came to the earth. So nobody knew what he would look like. They, they knew very little except for what the prophecies had stated. So in Daniel chapter 9, when Jesus is talking here to his disciples, he's saying without saying, the prophecies have to be fulfilled, but it's not this time yet. But it will be. We'll see that in the triumphal entry. Second point, which was, and you can look at this from a human point of view, is if Jesus, right, and it's hindsight, so I'm, I'm no genius. I can just say, well, I've had 2,000, we've had 2,000 years to study this. It's awesome. The disciples were hit cold with it. But the other issue was Jesus had to die on the cross. He had to die for our sins. So coming out too early about being the Messiah would cause, now remember, there were zealots in, in, at the time. There were a lot of people who were, I guess you could say, fanatics, that they would just start slaughtering Roman soldiers because you would see some... Listen, knowledge is power. I love studying history. These things happened in the Roman government. So Jesus, if, if some of the fanatics started following him and started attacking the soldiers in the government, well, I mean, you ever hear of the Spartacus Rebellion? Man, that was put down pretty brutally by the Romans. The bloodbath would have been a distraction to Jesus saving souls. Right? So Jesus knew there was a, a, a fine period of time before his crucifixion that he would come in the triumphal entry and say, okay, now I'm telling you who I am. Make sense? <laughs> so it's, listen, there's a lot to this. I'm not even touching all the, the points to this, but um, a lot of times when you study history, it, it really makes the flavor of the Bible come out. Uh, verse 22 Right after this, Mark and Mark 8, so G Peter says something great, and Peter sometimes should just say something and then stop talking, but he was very impetuous. Um, he rebukes Jesus after he hears the part about him being crucified. So Jesus G affirms what Peter says about him being the son of the living God, he's the Messiah. Wow, this is exciting, this is great. And then Jesus says, oh, by the way, the establishment, I'm going to suffer the crucifixion. What? And Peter, believe it or not, rebukes Jesus. Um, you know, but I wonder sometimes when, even with us sometimes, do we ever, you know, even in prayer, right? And you, you see some of these ministries, you know, they basically tell you to tell God what to do. No, no, he's God. <laughs> A lot of prayer is to really understand his will for our life, is to certainly ask for things that we feel we need, but Ultimately, he makes the final decision. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this, but my Father in heaven did, regarding Jesus being the Son of the living God. So Peter's sort of having this internal struggle between his flesh. Think about this. You know, you're following Jesus. You see dead people come out of the graves. <laughs> Who sees that? You see lepers with their skin uh, go from a whitish back to its natural color. You see lame people get up and walk and you know in your flesh i mean that is exciting it's a great experience 
And then Jesus says, it's, gonna, it's all going to end soon. No, 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 we don't want this to end. So Peter is having, as, as we sometimes do when we deal with God, our flesh wants what it wants. But then there's a part of us, the spiritual part of us, that wants what God wants. So you see Peter kind of having this, this struggle inside of him. And, and I'll tell you what, it's, it really is part of the human condition. Before I was a Christian, I just did what my flesh wanted. You know, then I became a Christian and... Listen, if I, if I stand up here and say, oh, when you become a Christian, everything becomes perfect, all your problems go away, I would be lying to you from this pulpit because you should probably struggle more with yourself than with anything else. Before BC, you're one-track minded. After Christ, you, you have these different parts of you that are you know, kind of competing. You know, and it's sort of people have used the symbolism with the angel on the one side and the devil on the other side. It's an oversimplification, but... You decide who you're going to follow. You're going to follow God, or you're going to follow the flesh, you're going to follow the culture. Who are you going to follow? So Peter's going through something right now. Um, in Mark 8, follow this. So Peter says something great. Then Jesus says he's going to be crucified. Peter gets, re- wait a minute. Peter rebukes Jesus, and then Jesus rebukes Peter for rebuking Jesus. Are you confused? <laughs> so, you know, Jesus is, you say something good, and he's like, yeah, that's, that's correct. You say something false, well, Jesus has to correct that because the other people may go along with it, right? Um, but Peter did what the culture wanted. And you can look at the Christian culture today. You can even look at, you know, modern-day Christianity that has a lot of problems in it. And Jesus said that these tares would come into these ministries. He said it. So, you know, it shouldn't be a lot, a stretch for us to believe that false teaching comes into supposedly the organization of the church. But the culture today, the Christian culture, they want the glory without the sacrifice. Peter wanted the glory without the sacrifice. The disciples are arguing about who's going to be Jesus's general when he conquers Rome. It didn't, it didn't turn out like that in the first century, right? Um, the Christian culture today wants the experiences without following the Word. And there's whole ministries devoted to experiences. And closing your eyes and you know, running, running around in church, taking your shoes off. It, you know, it, it's just chaos. And fortunately, in my formative years, I actually somebody invited me to a church. I went to a church like that. And I thought to myself, I don't want to be rude, but I don't want to sit here any longer. This is weird, you know? So... If you don't follow the word, you don't understand what experiences are good, what are legitimate and what are not legitimate, right? Light on the word, experience-focused churches sometimes make a fortune off of worldly Christians, keep them entertained. There was a book written by T.A. McMahon, and it was titled Showtime for the Sheep, and that just spoke about how some in the Christian culture, they want to be, they want to come to a church and they want pizzazz, they want to be excited, they want their flesh to be aggrandized and they don't want to have these deeper discussions, right? And get serious. Verse 23, continuing on, he says, then he said to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what advantage or what profit is it to a man or a woman if they gain the whole world and they themselves are destroyed? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. 
Okay, so two out of three is the true followers of Jesus. You know, we don't preach religion here. We pre- preach relationship with God. And you know, you, we all have relationships. Even if you're very young, you have a relationship with your parents or your friends at school. Relationships always work in two directions. When they work in one direction, this is a problem with the relationship. So yes, oh yeah, the true God. Oh yeah, the true Jesus. I'm all for that. But then the mirror comes back, right? You lift up the mirror and say, well, am I a true follower of Jesus? So there's expectations on God, right? We want Him to save our souls. We want Him to get us to heaven. A lot of things we want Him to do. But there's some expectations on us too. So two out of three is the true follower of Jesus. Now wait a minute. The Messiah has to suffer, and so do we. And they might have thought that. Wow, Jesus, these words, man, they're hard to swallow. And you, you would see these, these discussions that even the disciples had among themselves in the Gospels. They had some difficulty with some of his teachings. You know, and even today, suffering? What about the prosperity gospel? Right? What about Joel Osteen's book, Live Your Best Life Now? Right? Just have fun, do whatever you want, live your best life now. Hmm, how does that jive with Watchman Nee, who is a great Chinese Christian evangelist who, when the Mao... Uh, rebellion or the communist takeover took over they hated him because he was preaching freedom in Christ and they were locking everybody down and they were taking away their rights and watchman knee was was a wonderful man of God they eventually tell him to stop and he doesn't stop and this happened to many Christians in China in Cuba in Russia right uh, they put him in jail and he died in, in a communist prison they're not the best prisons you know they don't have the accoutrements that we have um, where was his prosperity gospel? In, in the heroes of faith in Hebrews, it tells us that some people were actually martyred. But God looks at them as heroes of faith, and where they are now doesn't compare it to the suffering that they experienced on this world. And in my flesh, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I'm just here. I'm your pastor. I'm being honest with you. Do I want to be uncomfortable? Do I want my prayers to not be answered? Do I want people to come after me? Of course I don't. So what does this mean and what does it not mean? Well, number one, we're not called to be ascetics or ascetics, right? They, and still happens today in some places, they have these groups and they separate it from society and they crawl on their knees until they're bloody and this is what they're doing for God. But it, there's really no rhyme or reason. They'll whip their backs, flagellation, um, a vow of silence. That's going to be tough for me, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I gotta be honest with you. I mean, I can take physical pain, but a vow of silence, wow. So I don't think we're called to be ascetics, but we're also not called to be troublemakers, right? We weren't, they weren't called, the disciples weren't called to be zealots and attack Roman soldiers. I mean, there's fanatics everywhere, there's fanatics in our own country, right? Um, so what does it mean and what does it, what does it not mean? Well, we're called to live every day for the Lord and really give our lives to him and whatever happens isn't up to us so the possibilities for living our faith is well overseas i read about christians in other countries they're jailed for telling their neighbor about christ that's so weird what are you afraid of well the gospel has power and that's what they're afraid of you know and god wants us to be freedom-minded and make our own choices and have free will and in some societies, they don't want that. So jail, death sentences, I get stuff from overseas news from missionaries. Here, if you really say, hey, listen, I'm a believer in Christ and I, I take what he says seriously, 
Eh, you might be ostracized, you might not get promoted, you might be shamed on social media, but hey, we still live in a free country, so it's definitely, there's more skin in the game for those overseas who are doing it. Verse 23, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow Christ. Well, deny yourself, right? Deny yourself. The culture says worship yourself. That's why we have so many problems in American culture. People don't get along, you know, team spirit at the, at the job, um, you know, it's just the cohesion sometimes is just not there, even among, within political parties, within states, within communities. We're seeing a lot of fracturing of the human condition, of the social fabric, right? And that's why when, when churches are done right, you get people that are from diverse backgrounds, and we can have different opinions, but what we do agree on is God. We agree on who Jesus is. And hopefully the world sees that and says, well, how do you guys get along? You, you're very different. Well, here's the reason. So um, it's really a neat idea. Again, it's, it's not to live for self, but to live for God. Does it literally mean, and I've read strange stories of, and it's very rare, rare over a few thousand years, some guy built his own cross and like tried to crucify himself on it. I, that's not what Jesus was talking about, man. You know, I, I don't know what you're trying to prove there. Not only can you not save yourself, but you couldn't save a loved one. Only God can do that, right? So it's, it's the attitude of my life is not my own. That's the meaning behind the symbolism. And I will say this as well. It's the idea of everything we do that God um, has first place in our life. Uh, Pastor Sam in the back, everybody knows Pastor Sam. Every time we talk about I don't know, meeting or seeing each other at church, he says, yes, he always says this, if you know him, Lord willing. Pastor Sam gives God first place in his, in his life, and his idea is, well, yeah, I'll be there today, tomorrow, next week, next year, if the Lord allows it. He understands that concept. I love, I love when he says that. He says it all the time. So, um, <laughs> But it's pretty neat stuff, right? Uh, Follow me, Jesus says, not from a distance, Remember, the crowds thronged him. The crowds went there hungry. They wanted to be, get a free meal. They went there with uh, infirmities, and it's understandable. They wanted to be healed. They wanted their loved ones raised from the dead. So it could have been thousands of people. could have been ten thousands that just over time, they just started growing and growing to follow him. But they didn't necessarily want him or a relationship with God. They wanted what he had to offer. But his followers, and we're going to get into you know, some other chapters, it wasn't just the 12. There was also many women followers. There were the 70 that went out two by two. Um, there could have been hundreds of followers, but they separated themselves from the crowd because they wanted something deeper. Hence the title, Deeper Discussions. So we look at this, crowds versus disciples. Which one are we? Admirers versus followers. You could admire famous people, but not really ascribe to their political views or their faith views or whatever, but you just, you know, there's something about them that you admire. Christ wants followers. He doesn't want admirers. And again, this is all meant to conform us to the image of Christ in our lives, and whatever happens from there happens. We'll see what the Lord does. So I'll just give you, um, and this is important because there's no condemnation here. Everyone doesn't have to be like me. Not everybody is a teacher or an evangelist or whatever. 
um, the worship team, you would, if I started singing and playing those instruments, you'd all leave. <laughs> so there's people who have a lot of gifts that I just do not have. So this isn't, this is not the best gift. It's just one of the gifts, you know? And I think about people who say, you know, I'm shy. I, you know, in public places, it, it's, it, it takes a lot for me to come out of myself to talk to somebody I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I could ever really share the gospel. Well, I know somebody, he's actually my brother-in-law, who's very shy. He's a man of very few words. He has a tattoo of a Christian fish, huge, on his forearm. So I asked him about it. He goes, I don't talk much, you know, I don't. But he goes, but I really want to share with people. He goes, people ask me about my tattoo. He goes, and then I open up. It's like they open the door. (laughs) So if we can change and we can be better people and maybe through a crisis in the family or at the workplace or a national crisis and people are looking at you like, you know, you seem to be kind of holding it together a little bit better than everybody else. It's an open door, right? It's an open door. Well, you don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to be a theologian. So it's kind of a neat thing, right? You know, to each his own, and, and God has different gifts for different people. And I admire gifts that I don't have. <laughs> so none of us are better than anybody else. We will work together for the same goal. Amen? All right. Verse 24, 25, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What is a prophet? Someone who gains the whole world but loses their own soul or they're destroyed or lost. And it doesn't mean if you're bleeding to not call 911. Again, you have to understand the background behind what he's saying here, right? We truly start to live when we give our lives to the Lord, especially since he gave his life for ours. So if I could say that we give up a self-directed life to God to get a God-directed life, right? Simple, simple stuff. And again, those who read the scripture out of context turn teachings into fanatical teachings, t- turn it into bizarre teachings. That you're like, well, that's not what Jesus said. Um, so, but this attitude goes against preser- uh, self-preservation in the sense that, hey, i got to take care of number one. I heard a lot of cliches growing up, and I would say them at times because I didn't know the Lord. But then I became a Christian, and I said, you know what, I shouldn't say that anymore because it's really not true. It's not something I should practice and I should follow. You know, you better look out for yourself because nobody else will, and you know, it's, it's all that kind of talk about, it's, it's all about self is really what it is. He says, to gain the whole world and lose one, the one soul. How many people have ever seen that show on its cable channel, American Pickers, right? It's, you know, my wife and I were watching it, and this, this guy was in his 80s, and the, these people come out and to their viewers' homes and garages and businesses, and the dude, he had this huge garage, and he had these cars that were decades old, and they were worth a fortune. His garage was worth a half a million dollars, and you could see he was living a very humble life, and he's in his 80s, and they want to buy some of his stuff, and he doesn't want to sell some of the stuff. He goes, man, maybe I'll wait another five years or so. It's like, Dude, how much time do you think you have on the earth, right? So people will, will gain, will gain. Listen, I have a garage filled with scrap metal and plastic. I don't throw anything away because there's always a project that and my wife teases me about all the junk I collect, but then when she really needs something done, I'm like, oh, look what I found. <laughs> so, you know, you tease me, but it's working to your advantage. By the way, my garage is not worth anything. <laughs> so it's just cheap stuff that people throw away. 
I found actually a little uh, quarter-inch uh, socket driver when I was walking one day, and I picked it up, and I came home and said, Heather, look what I found. Okay, I am totally getting off topic. <laughs> the point is that people will accumulate stuff. I, as a police officer, you know, I would go into many crime scenes and death scenes, natural causes, and we would have to clear the house, make sure it wasn't foul play, and you know, you just look in these rooms and garages, and this stuff is worth a fortune. But this is what human beings do. We save, we save, we hoard, we think we're going to just live another day. But that may not be the case, right? And again, I'm not criticizing anybody. I think too about the billionaires, right? And I follow some of these people, and I'm going to look at two pairs of billionaires. First one's is uh, Bill Gates and George Soros, who they have this, uh, I don't know, uh, delusions of grandeur. They feel that everybody on the planet should live the way they want them to, and they spend a lot of their money through political candidates and dark money to affect the changes that they're looking for. And there's plenty of research you could do on them. This stuff is legit. Um, I also think of and another pair is Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, who together are worth collectively more than a half a trillion dollars that's like insane money if they passed away all that stuff stays here it doesn't go with them they don't get to bring a pr person they don't get to bring an attorney they don't get to bring you know uh, an entourage they stand before the lord by themselves as jesus said what profit is it a man or a woman who gains the whole world but loses their own soul and listen, those people are welcome to believe on Christ and become believers. And well, they sort of maybe have a double blessing at that point, but hopefully they'll use that fortune for good and not just for self-directed purposes. So as we start to look at this, we're like, Jesus just, he talks about things in common sense. I mean, this stuff is not rocket science, right? We do have the deeper discussions, but then we have the common sense portion of it, Right? So we can't save ourselves. We can, you know, again, it's not that if you're physically bleeding and, and you know, you want somebody to come in and, and care for you. That's not what he's talking about. We can't save ourselves. We can't do anything to get ourselves into heaven. But if we give our lives to the Lord, well, you know, we, we promise to, to trust in what Jesus did on the cross. Well, we're saved. Well, is that easy? Yeah, it is that easy. So I'm going to get into some of the, the deeper stuff, but some of the stuff is simple when it comes to coming to Christ and getting into heaven, God makes it easy to get to heaven. It's not difficult. It's not a board game, right? Verse 26, being ashamed of Jesus. Well, how do we, how do we understand this? We also understand this by, by uh, you know, when the Romans came down heavily on, the, on this faith, some would just, they would just cower in fear. They just were like, oh, I don't know if I want to publicly come out and say, follow Jesus. Um, but then so many saw him resurrected that the faith just grew, even though the Romans came down heavy on them. So, you know, we can look at that today. Are we ashamed of, of our Lord? Uh, some in there, and again, social pressure is very strong. Stuff that you see on Facebook and Twitter, people will change their, they'll compromise their values because of what the mob is saying. And some of these people are even bots. They're not even real. They're, they're generated computer AI sort of things that, it's designed to get everyone to go in a certain direction. I mean, are we sheep? If we're following anyone as sheep, we should be following the good shepherd, not what society's saying, because every 10 years it changes anyway. There's no stability to it. 
But some live their lives as if they're ashamed of Jesus. They apologize for following God's word. You know what? When I started getting ribbed initially, I was in law enforcement. And uh, I did my research. I feverishly researched this, went into history. You know what? The, the guys started realizing that I wasn't going to change. And some of them asked me to do their weddings and uh, friends, you know, family members' funerals. And they, they ex- not only accepted it, but they said, wow, this is real. And we see a change in you. So it, it's, this stuff is powerful. I'll leave you with one last thought, and we'll go to the next point, is that I went to Rutgers University. Most of you know that. Uh, I got my degree. Oh, there's a lot of science in it. It was you know, four years and a semester because, yeah, it took me a little longer because there was other things competing for my studies. And um, so we had this big reunion uh, about a year ago, a few months ago, I don't remember. And all these guys are at the table, and a lot of them are actually wealthy, and some are attorneys. And my first thought was maybe I, I took the wrong major. You know what I'm saying? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but I was sharing my faith and stuff, and it was really cool because they, they, a lot of these, and some of them watch, love you guys, we'll meet again, please invite me again, but I am going to talk about Jesus. Um, you know, and they, there, was, there was an interest. I don't push my faith, but I was like, listen, I have something exciting too. It's not a Maserati, it's not a Tesla, but let me tell you about Jesus, right? So it's, I have a treasure. You know, I go home every day. I live a simple life. Um, but, but I have a treasure. And that treasure is going to bring me into eternity and help to pay rewards here. So, you know, it's really how you look at things, right? What's your perspective on life? Verse 27, continuing on. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here. Now, these are, this is all contiguous. This all really, it's the same thought. And I'm going to do that at the end. But I tell you the truth, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Well, that's interesting. While I'm in this body, I'm going to see the kingdom of God. And it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was, was altered and his robe became white and glistening. Then behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah from the Old Testament who had passed, right? who appeared in glory and spoke of his, Christ's decease, his death, which he was going to accomplish at Jerusalem. You can accomplish a lot of things in life, but the Son of God's accomplishment, best accomplishment, was to die for our sins because he loves us so much. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with them. Imagine waking, waking up to that. You're like, oh, I must still be dreaming. <laughs> you know, Put your head back on the pillow. Um, it probably took them a little while to totally say, no, I am conscious. You know, I'm seeing what I'm seeing. And it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, as they were parting, so you see this thing happening as it's sorting, I guess maybe starting to fade. Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here and let us make three tabernacles or tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. Remember the Old Testament, how God appeared to the Israelites in the wilderness in a cloud by, na- by day, in that a pillar of fire by night. Then a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. In other words, Peter, be quiet. <laughs> he talked too much. And when the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone, but they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things they had seen. So 
again, you take the Gospels together, there's some nuances. It, what it does appear is that, is that they didn't really reveal this until after Jesus um, he was resurrected. When Jesus was resurrected, they were like, wow, well, that was really neat. He said he would. Nobody could do that. That's incredible. They see him ascend into heaven, and as they, they start to go out, then you know, they're starting to put the Gospels together and saying, well, this was the, one of the coolest things we've ever seen, and they write it down. So three out of three is the deity of Jesus revealed again. Now, in verse 27, he said, some won't taste death until they see the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven and it's probably referring to this event, right? Because they're seeing Jesus. I, 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 the only way I could explain it, because I wasn't there, but the way it's, I'm reading it is that his deity, right? he's fully God and he's fully man. His deity is, is kind of coming through his flesh and his tissue. So there's a, you know, I mean, when we get to heaven, maybe they can tell us the fine details of it, but I'm doing the best I can here. Um, what is a transfiguration? Well, Matthew uses the word in Greek, it's metamorpho, where we get the word metamorphosis. So there's this, there's this metamorphosis where Jesus has this, this covering of, of a man's body and figure, right? As he goes and he teaches and he, and he does the things that he does and ministers. And now this metamorphosis takes place and his deity now is, you can see it through his, his tissue. Um, and again, sadly... I read this, and I was in a religion for many years, and I'm like, I've never, no one's ever taught this to me before. So I was feverishly hungry to read the rest of the Bible, because I'm like, why wouldn't they teach me this in religion? Why didn't they teach me about the second coming? It's a lot of things they didn't teach me. So I learned it on my, on my own. A few things happened. Mark tells us that even his clothes were like snow, and he describes it as no launderer could bleach. They've never seen anything. It, it's not a color. It's not tan. It's not off-white. It is... They can't explain it. It is this bright, light things that they've never seen before. Um, Matthew says that even, again, his clothes were white as light, and that Jesus' face shone like the sun. So his clothes, his skin, muscles, and his deity comes from the inside out. Okay. This is the way, and it's just it was a thought that came to me. I did this the last time I taught on the Transfiguration. This is a, it's an okay flashlight. It has a lot of lumens, but you know, if you look closely at my hand, you see skin, right? You see skin, and you can't see my muscles. You can't see my capillaries. You can't see, you can't see my blood that's flowing with every heartbeat, right? But if you put a flashlight up to it, you can see. If you look close enough, you can see red. That's blood. So the light, now this is just natural light. This is something that God created on the electromagnetic spectrum. But you can see the power of natural light revealing what's inside my skin. Could you imagine what the deity looked like bursting through his muscle tissue? And So this is, this is a cheap, pathetic illustration of something that's incredibly grandiose. Amen? So you know, even when you look at... Uh, typical things that we do today in illustrations and you're like yeah i can definitely see that they saw something pretty pretty impressive and i'm not going to turn to it but in revelation 1 14 jesus is already resurrected from the dead he ascends into heaven he looks like he looks as if we'll see him now right well if we would go to heaven right now he's in his fully transformed state he doesn't look like the, the guy who walked around the earth and you know, took naps and you know, um, 
bled when they put the nails through him. He's, he's totally transformed at this point. He's, he's post-ascended. So in Revelation 1.14, John describes, so he, gets this, he sees this, the angel takes him up and he shows him these things that are happening. He said that Jesus' head and hair were white like snow. Again, it's not a color. It's this, you know, even Revelation 4, when John goes up to the throne room, he sees the sea of glass and the multiple colors. Who can describe God? We're humans. We fail. But when we see it, it's going to be pretty amazing because he's God. Uh, It says his eyes were like a flame of fire. In verse 17, the disciple who who leaned on Jesus' bosom at the, uh, the Last Supper in Revelation, he sees the post-ascended Christ. He doesn't recognize him because he doesn't look like he did when his deity was cloaked by human flesh. So he falls at the Lord's feet as, as if he was dead. Emotional stimuli overload, paroxysm. He sees a full deity on display. It's pretty wild stuff. Some say, what a miracle that Jesus' deity shown through his body. I would say it's probably more of a miracle that every day people didn't see it burst through his body because that was the was the part that was the most impressive part and there's a whole lot of reasons why he took on human flesh which we'll get into another sermon but it it also so you 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 see the disciples right so jesus just told them something that was hard to digest he's going to be persecuted he's they've, they've seen crucifixions the romans were so cruel that um certain roman roads had crucifixes and people were uh they were languishing you know, maybe a day or two, uh, it was misery. But the Romans sent the message, just like some of the Chinese, uh, Chinese communist uh, CCP, different North Korea, certain countries today send the message to their people. If you resist us, we will destroy you and we will make your life miserable. So don't even consider it. Thankfully, we live in a country with the freedoms that we have. So he's going to be crucified, but then they see his deity come through. Again, it only makes sense when you break this down into two comings. Now, to the casual observer, Christianity is a never-ending, contradictory paradox. Right? If if your heart isn't to seek the truth, you will read these things and go, what are you talking about? What is Jesus talking about? Right? But to the true believer who applies themselves and does research and investigation by the Spirit of God they see the merging of two seemingly mutually exclusive truths that merge on the Kármán line between spiritual and temporal existence. So the Kármán line, if you study um, astronomy, is we we live under the Kármán line. We have the atmosphere. If you go straight up, so to speak, you'll eventually hit this line that scientists call the Kármán line. And there is this fine line where the atmosphere stops and outer space begins. And the air starts to thin before it gets to that. It's, it's very fascinating. So I, I would say that we're learning things on the Kármán line between eternal things that we're trying to figure out, but we're also in the physical realm. It's pretty powerful. And it's deep. Um, last few points before we close is the deity of Jesus can't be overstated. right? You can't have the true Jesus without him being fully God. So Micah 5.2 in the Old Testament, a few centuries in the Old Testament before Jesus comes, they're describing the Messiah and they use a double positive in the Hebrew and they talk about his being from everlasting, from days of old, from eternity. 
So you're going to see him. He's going to be in human form, but don't let your eyes deceive you. He's fully God, and he merges with human flesh, of course, to die for our sins. The second thing we see in John 8, 58, Jesus, people say, oh, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, yes, he did in many ways. In John 8, 58, when he's debating the religious uh, scholars, he said, before Abraham was, I am, or yod heh vav which was the tetragrammaton or the the, the Hebrew name for the everlasting God. And the religious leaders, they were really more wanted to kill him because he would start to express his deity. Wait a minute, you're not, only, you're not 40, 50 years old. How could you have seen Abraham? He's lived centuries ago. And he said, before Abraham was, I am. I've always existed before this body and before Abraham was even born. So it's powerful stuff. And I'll just leave it with this. If you don't see the deity of Christ, you don't want to or you don't want to investigate it. Okay, you can't read the Bible and not see the deity of Christ. Okay, verse 30 through 31. This is interesting because uh, Peter and the other disciples awake and they see Jesus and he's transfigured, if that wasn't enough. He's talking to Moses and Elijah and they're talking about Jesus' death going to Jerusalem. So the question people ask, and I'm going to give you my opinion, will we recognize each other in heaven? My answer is yes. Yes, we will. We absolutely will. It'll be a different relationship. Moses knew who Elijah was. Elijah knew who Moses was. They knew, both knew who Jesus was. And the disciples knew who Moses and Elijah was. Right? We had a, a young man that I did his funeral. He passed away, and I had permission to share this, at 19 years old. He was at the top 10 people that I would say were the best Christians I've ever met. He was one of the best. He is one of the best. Um, before he passed, the drugs and the procedures started to change his appearance. But when we see Drew again, oh my goodness. If somebody was to say to Drew, um, would you want to come back here for five years and just hang out with us? He, I'm sure right now he'd be like, please. Be patient. I'll wait for you to come up here. I'm not going back down there. You know what I'm saying? This kid, up until the end, um, he just had, he literally had a glow. If the, you know, the eyes of the lamp of the body, he had a beautiful smile, but you, when you looked into his eyes, you saw light. And when I, I said at the, at the eulogy, I said, when you look at him, even if you're an atheist, and you don't believe when you looked at into that kid's eyes and you're here because you want to honor him, you had an experience with someone who had God in him and you just don't realize it. That's what made Drew who Drew is. And I say is because he exists. We're going to see him in a different form. We're going to recognize him, no doubt. So, um, and people say to me, they're like, I heard this teaching that we're not going to know anybody and it's not true. I don't believe my son will be my son. I think my son will be my brother in the Lord relationships change, okay? Uh, parents, will, will, you will all be on equal footing. And that's a whole, I've taught this before when we were in Revelation. But it's beautiful. It absolutely is beautiful. Uh, so they're talking, about, they're talking about Jesus going to the cross. They're speaking about his decease. It's going to happen not long from now. He's going to Jerusalem. And they're talking about his fulfillment of Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets. Everything comes together here, right? And again, speaking of his decease before it happens, powerful stuff. What does Peter want to do? 
He wants to make the, you know, it's starting to fade. He wants the tabernacles. Hey, let's get some branches. Let's get some, you know, let's make three like little tents and we call, hang out together and sing songs by the campfire. And it's like, Peter, <laughs> this has to happen. We, this can't go on, right? However, there will be a day that the glory will last forever. And that's a future occurrence from right now. So as we close, deeper discussions, do we have them? Deeper discussions separate admirers from followers. Are we true followers of Jesus? And do we follow the true Jesus? Because a false Jesus can't save. Are we admirers? Because in the end, God knows who are His. And you know what's really, I think, saddened when churches come off and ministries like, hey, we're exclusive. No, 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 no. Right now, the population of the planet could decide, well, we want to come to Christ. It's probably not going to happen mathematically, but... Everyone has their own free will, but if it happens right now, it's not like God has to build an addition. His heaven is big enough to handle as many people come into the kingdom. The Bible tells us that His desire is that all would be saved. And as, as a church, we should want to make that palatable for somebody who doesn't know Jesus. It, it Really, it's that. It's, I don't have to jump through hoops. I don't have to give you guys $10,000. You don't have to give us anything. It doesn't work like that. It has nothing to do with money. It has to do with your heart, and it has to do with Him. Do we understand that Jesus is fully God and fully man? Right? And I'll leave you with this one last point, verse 35. Peter's looking for the experience to continue, and what does the Lord say to him? He says, this is my beloved Son, hear Him. What is the best thing that we can do? We can hear Him. We hear Him today through His Word. In John 14, Jesus says, do you love me? And he puts forth, forth a litmus test. If you love me, follow my word. Well, how do we follow his word if we've never read his word? He wants us to engage in it. Deeper discussions, deeper pondering, hopefully when we're alone, or maybe now, hopefully lead to a right relationship with God and everlasting life. been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless.